Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Fight Against COVID-19, What's Really Going On? The CGTN radio podcast that brings you everything you need to know about the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Shane Bigham. In this edition, we'll look at China's efforts to develop COVID vaccines and how it's achieved a high vaccination rate. Official data shows that China's vaccinated nearly 93% of its population against COVID-19. Inoculation rates among people aged 16 above has surpassed 90%. Kate O'Brien's the director for immunization, vaccines and biologicals at the WHO. And she says China's making enormous progress in efforts to get every senior vaccinated. China's mainly vaccinated its population with jabs using a dead virus to teach the immune system to react to a future infection. The WHO recommends three types of Chinese vaccines vaccines as safe and effective. For more on the COVID-19 vaccine development and inoculation efforts in China, Ding Hong spoke to Shane Thomas, Professor of Health Promotion with Federation University Australia. During the latest wave of COVID infections in China, one criticism China has faced from the outside is that it has concentrated too much resources on quarantine and lockdown rather than vaccination over the past three years, which was criticized as a wasted opportunity for China. Do you think this criticism is fair? Well, I think many countries uh, have the same criticism. So, for example, in Australia, we also pursued a stringent quarantine and lockdown protocol, and then combined that with vaccination and public health measures, actually quite similar approach to China. So China's lockdown protocols have been described by some as harsh, but actually this is the same criticism that was made by many citizens within their own countries. Um, To manage pandemics, you need a firm response. So in previous pandemics, the toll in human life has been very severe, and this is what we're trying to avoid. I think that that has occurred Uh, when we look at the COVID outcomes, Uh, obviously very serious pandemic, but technology and sophistication in public health has led to a better outcome in China and also in other countries. So what do you think is the difficulty in terms of getting people vaccinated in, in a country like China compared to, say, Australia? I mean, geographically speaking, Australia is also a pretty large country, but population-wise, Australia is a much smaller country. We are small fish. Um, So, uh, and indeed, when you look at the smaller countries like Israel and United Arab Emirates, uh, they were able to vaccinate their populations very quickly. So Australia, as you say, shares the, the issue of uh, very large geographical spread. Uh, so if you want to vaccinate people, you have to go a lot of places uh, very far away. Um, but the thing that we don't share with China, is, of course, is the very large population. So um, I think that that's the difficulty, the geographical spread and the very high population uh, create much bigger challenges than for smaller or more compact countries. Do you think it is surprising to you that, uh, let's say, until recently, the inauguration rate among the elderly population has been lower than China's overall national level? Well, you would hope that those people with the greatest need would be, uh, and the greatest risk would be the first in the line. But I think that once again, 
there are similarities with China with other countries, including my own, which is that uh, the inoculation or vaccination rate for um, older people has been quite a bit lower than the rest of the population. I think there's a range of reasons for this. Uh, some older people are actually reluctant to uh, be at the front of the line because they think that younger people should be there. Um, but also uh, it is difficult to manage people who, uh, for example, are in aged care facilities. Uh, there's a lot of risks associated with that. So uh, it is surprising, but I think a universal surprise. So a narrative which is already being taken for granted by some media outlets is that China's COVID-19 vaccines are less effective compared to those Western-developed mRNA vaccines. Uh, do you think this is a true statement supported by real data and figures? Well, earlier COVID vaccines, which are the um, uh, conventional uh, manufacturing method, were found to be less effective. Um, mRNA technology uh, is high quality, but it's also very expensive. So if you spend more, you get more, but uh, the availability is a big issue. And in fact, as you recall, there were many uh, large global shortages in this. If you are to develop mRNA facilities from the ground up, it's a lot of work and time consuming and expensive. Um, and many countries do not have this capability at all. And many of those uh, who do have it actually uh, are not able to produce uh, vaccines at the kind of scale uh, that's required for their populations. So, for example, if we take a, Australia as a comparison, uh, we do not yet have an mRNA vaccine manufacturing facility. We have, we have mRNA capability in our research laboratories, but we're not able yet to uh, produce it at scale. So once again, I think that um, the, uh, when you use the older uh, conventional uh, vaccine technologies, uh, they're not as, as good as uh, mRNA, but you've got to go with what you've got. Um, and uh, that, that's what we had and I think what China has had, but now is uh, fixing that issue. This um, pretty well-known epidemiologist, um, Professor Ben Koling with the University of Hong Kong, his team has done a research last year based on the sample collected from uh, Hong Kong patients. And basically the conclusion of his research is that there is no significant discrepancies between uh, China's vaccines and those developed by, say, Madonna and Pfizer in terms of their um, effectiveness. How would you look at such a conclusion? Well, my personal experiment is that I've had uh, all of the different varieties. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm lucky to have had uh, four vaccinations. Um, and uh, I, I think it's it's uh, not a remarkable difference. You know, so the uh, the mRNA uh, vaccines have the advantage in that uh, they're more readily adaptable. So if you have a new variant, you're able to program uh, the uh, mRNA uh, vaccine 
to, to deal with that with a um, vaccine that is relying upon uh, you know killed um, uh, <clears throat> infections it, it's um, slower to do that so there are advantages uh, that uh, relate to speed of ability to reprogram the vaccine uh, but in terms of uh, absolute effectiveness I would agree with your analysis so with a homegrown mRNA vaccine closed now what do you think this would mean to China's fight with COVID in the foreseeable future? Well, I think it will, of course, help a lot. And uh, the implementation of this technology, as I mentioned, will also uh, help greatly with future pandemics, not just COVID, but variants of COVID it will help with, but also uh, other quite new um, pandemics. But um, we also need to consider the availability of second-line therapies such as antivirals for those people who notwithstanding vaccination catch the virus because uh, these uh, uh, medications can actually greatly lower uh, death rates and improve recovery so it's not just the, the vaccination is very important but there are also uh, secondary things that one can do to uh, deal with this issue okay now, some people say China wants to keep sending a message to the international community that China is doing well in vaccine, either in terms of vaccine distribution or vaccine development. Um, do you see it that way? And when you look at the COVID-19 vaccine development by different countries, do you see it as a competition? Do you see it as a race or would you see it as uh, more like an opportunity for international collaboration? Well, I think the reality is that China, along with its international friends, is now in a much better position than before. So this is the reality. We're, we're uh, in a much better situation. I think that uh, globally we have a responsibility to help each other have healthy and, and wealthy societies. I mean, uh, if your partners are wealthy, uh, you have a better opportunity for collaboration and trade opportunities and so on. So I'm in favor of collaboration. I think it's a win-win situation. I think it's kind of interesting to reflect though that, I mean, we're not at the end of the uh, pandemic, but mm -hmm. we're certainly a good way into it. And I think uh, seem to be winning. And I think when we look at the different pathways that different countries have taken, uh, I think we're very much ending up at the same destination. Um, and we didn't know that this would be the case until quite recently. So I think we've improved our responses globally and we've done much better than what we feared during the journey. We've had conversations about uh, this pandemic uh, over two years. And when we started initially, we were very fearful of the outcome. The outcome is serious. Uh, this is a serious pandemic, but I think that we have done a lot better than we may have imagined at the beginning. Um, we achieved this through uh, collaboration. That was Shane Thomas, Professor of Health Promotion with Federation University Australia. Italy's health minister says the government's considering dropping COVID-19 tests for Chinese arrivals starting next month. The country says it hasn't found any new variants from Chinese travelers and that it's not seen a sharp increase of new infections. Italy and other European Union members announced last month that COVID-19 tests are required for travelers from China upon arrival after China relaxed its entry and exit policies. 
Chinese New Year celebrations involving big reunions and large gatherings have returned to Singapore amid the easing of COVID-19 restrictions. Miro Lu has more. Wet weather couldn't dampen the spirit of this big family. They're gathering and celebrating Chinese New Year for the first time since COVID struck. During the pandemic, Singapore had a strict rules on the number of people for social meetings, making parties of this size legally impossible. The group size limit of five in 2022 and eight in 2021 hit the Toh family hard. With over 100 members, Chinese New Year is the only time when the whole family gets together under one roof. That's everyone from the octogenarian grandparents to the toddlers, an annual tradition that went on for nearly a decade before the pandemic. For the past two years, we have no visitations. It was really like through Zoom calls that we see each other. I think it's difficult when, especially during Chinese New Year, you would gather together, eat. And for Singapore, we like to lohe. When you can't do that and you just meet through the screen and just talk, it doesn't feel right. Finally, being able to meet, the elders of the family gave out hongbaos or red envelopes of cash to the younger, unmarried members. And of course, there was lohe, a fun part of the celebrations in Singapore and Malaysia. It involves tossing of ingredients while shouting auspicious greetings. Lohe also holds a special significance for this Singapore-based PR company. Since its inception 20 years ago, it has followed a flexi work model. So as a team bonding exercise, its managing director, Joanne, began the tradition of hosting a CNY gathering every year. It's been three years that we cannot meet together. Now we can all meet each other face to face. It's a very special moment. You know, we can eat together. Every year we will meet, we'll eat together. My husband and my mother-in-law will cook their specialty. When we couldn't gather uh, for the company, it was quite a pity. We had new colleagues and all. We didn't have the opportunity to meet and actually um, engage with each other. Another casualty of COVID was the festive bazaar in Singapore's iconic district of Chinatown. Making a much-awaited comeback this year, the bazaar has seen a steady stream of eager and excited crowds. Some are looking for their favorite New Year goodies, while others are there just to enjoy their first restriction-free Lunar New Year after a long and hard pandemic. That was Miro Lu reporting. Authorities say patients in China have easy access to stable and abundant medical supplies during the Spring Festival holiday. To cope with possible COVID-19 infections caused by the travel rush, drugstores across the country have stockpiled medical supplies. Ushis put more than 4 million ibuprofen and acetaminophen pills and 4.2 million N95 masks on the market. Community health centers in Lijiang, Yunnan Province purchased new oximeters and oxygen therapy products before the Spring Festival. Deputy Director at Chen Xiaoyu says they have a three-month supply of medicines. People suffering from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, chronic bronchitis and asthma are key groups that need close monitoring. So we need to ensure the monitoring of blood oxygen and provide oxygen therapy for them. Pharmaceutical factories are working to meet high demand from clients during the Spring Festival holiday. A pharmaceutical factory in Beijing says it had tripled output since December. A hospital in Shanxi is treating patients suffering from the after-effects of COVID-19 via traditional Chinese medicine therapies. Chief physician Li Feng of the Hongtong County TCM Hospital says their therapies are diversified to target a range of symptoms. We use TCM therapies like acupuncture, cupping, 
gua sha or scraping, massage, and moxibustion to treat patients. Many patients say they feel much better after several days of treatment in the hospital. I've used some TCM and received acupuncture treatment moxibustion. Now I feel stronger when climbing stairs and have no shortness of breath anymore. I feel much more relaxed now. Before, I had a headache so severe that I couldn't fall asleep. Patients can also receive treatment with medicinal herbs, which can be taken home to make a soup, or choose the more convenient but more expensive granules extracted from the herbs. The third day of the Chinese New Year holiday has seen millions of people hitting the road as they head home for family reunions or set out for trips. Official data shows that the Chinese public transport system carried over 23 million passengers on Monday, up nearly 68% over last year. But the level still represents a 51% drop from 2019. The number of trips made by plane rose 150% over last year to 1.2 million, while those made by rail increased 84% to 5.2 million. Insiders say the easing of COVID-19 control measures has helped restore travel demand. With that, we end this edition of the fight against COVID-19, What's Really Going On? Subscribe to our podcast for another episode filled with facts, stories, and opinions concerning the global battle against the coronavirus. For more detailed stories about the pandemic, visit radio.cgtn.com or listen to our current affairs program, The Beijing Hour, online. Drop us a line on our podcast so we can provide you with even more content that interests you. I'm Shane Begum. Thanks for listening.